he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. Today I'm going to share with you the story of Noah and the flood. And this is a story that, like Jonah, covers several chapters of Scripture. And instead of just maybe quoting a verse and telling the whole story, I'm going to kind of just bounce around. But feel free to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. And if you want to read more than what I read, that's okay. You can do that and uh, won't bother me at all. But uh, this is a story that takes place. I mean, this is, um, uh, this is God's people talking about... Um, a story that is very common to them. It's a story that's shared among a lot of the peoples of that time and a lot of the religions and a lot of the faiths. One of the common things is they all seem to have a flood story, which means on the one hand, it lends some veracity, it lends some, some, some truth to the fact that like, everyone in the world seems to know that there was a flood of some sort that happened. But also that the people of God are like, we, we recognize and we understand that this says something about the God that we worship. And that they're very clear to, to, to want to say, hey, what we are going to talk about is not everyone else's understanding, but, but the God who redeems and restores us, what was he doing? And what might be the word of hope for us out of a story like this? And so I'm going to begin with Genesis chapter 6, Verses uh, oh, 1 to 13. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'll let you know where I'm going. So, Genesis chapter 6, um, starting at verse 1. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw that they were fair, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh, and their days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, they were the heroes that were of old and warriors of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I'm going to blot out from the earth the human beings I've created People together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I ever made them. I want to pause and say, I, I wish he had just stuck with the creeping things, right? <laughs> uh, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And the, uh, these are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 7, verse 17. What happens in the meanwhile is it tells the story of how Noah built his ark, a little bit about the dimensions about the animals that uh, God calls for him to bring to the ark. Uh, we've heard those stories since, I think, childhood, that he brought two of every kind. 
which uh, uh, does say that in Scripture, two of every kind, but of the clean animals, of the animals that would sustain them and feed them. God said, bring seven of every kind. But there's this idea that the entire collection, the world is being spared because of Noah's faithfulness right now to God's call to build this ark. For he is kind of the lone righteous one in the world. And then, so let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up after the, the storm starts in uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all human beings. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark, and the waters swelled in the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month and on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountain appeared. And it will go on about how Noah starts to find this dry land, the releasing of the dove and it coming back until finally it doesn't come back. And, and that was a sign for him, well, if the bird found somewhere to land and to nest or to, or, or to try to make a home, we can too. And so it goes on with that story. And then finally, when they touch upon dry land, it'll be the first day of the month of the new year. And uh, so that'll continue on. And then finally, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with uh, verses 20 to 22. Noah built an altar to the Lord, took of every clean animal, of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is the story, this is the, uh, the flood story. Afterwards, the story of the covenant God makes with Noah and the, and the sign of the rainbow that we've, we've heard, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this story begins with, 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 with kind of a, a confusing setup. There is a story of, it seems to be, what's called the sons of God. Is that, is that a particular group of people? Uh, is that uh, some mythical term? What is happening here with that phrase, the sons of God? And there's a group of people called the Nephilim, and they are uh, merging with God's, uh, God's people and the women of, of humanity. And, and what, are, what is that? Is, not, is that another group of people? Is that, is that a story of, 
uh, of something else, of something more mythical. There, there was some legends, a, a Jewish legend, that, that thought that maybe they were like angelic beings or something. It definitely seems to have this kind of sound of there is something unusual happening here, almost like it's borrowing from or, or uh, working with some of those shared tales among all the people around them. Uh, as if the story they're about to say starts off with an illustration of this story sounds like it's going to start like your flood story. But no, we're going to tell you how our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the world, has actually a new story of hope and a message specifically for you. And so I think in Genesis, they're just kind of warming up the people and the tribes around them by saying, hey, let me start off with an illustration you might understand that us, 3,000 years later, are going, wait, who? And, uh, and they're warming them up so they can begin to tell them about this God. And uh, I found myself, uh, what was it, about a decade ago, there was a new movie that had come out called Noah. It had Russell Crowe as him. And I remember a bunch of people uh, that I knew that were Christians said, man, I, I didn't like that movie at all. And, and what were those weird things at the beginning of the movie? But I remember watching that movie and seeing they had these weird, like, rock elemental creature things that were like moving on the earth. And I remember when I saw that movie, I said to myself, well, that's a unique take on the Nephilim. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. So there's a, they have an imagination here of something unusual merging with the world. And I, I want to say something about that. Um, in, in Genesis, at the beginning, you have the story of creation. And in the story of creation, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters and then starts to begin to create. And the, and the world is created orderly. And the world is described in a poetic way, in a way that they understand their world. And so the world, you have light and you have dark on day one. And afterwards, it says, they separated the waters above and below, which is an odd way of saying it, the waters above and below. But yet that was the understanding of the ancient people of, of like, the heavens were, were a place of like water. I mean, it's blue after all, and rain is coming down from it. I mean, even in our reading, we heard like he closed the windows of the heavens, right? So the waters wouldn't come down. And so this great separation on day two is there's now water on the earth and there's water in the heavens because that was just a part of their understanding. Day three, the land is created. And then days four, five, and six is a poetic mirroring of days one through three. There's, there's light and dark, and day four, now there's stars and sun and moon. Well, day two, you had the waters above and the waters below. Well, on day five, you have the birds and the fish. Well, day three, you had the land now out of the water, but on day six, you have the plants and the animals and the people. And it's this great, beautiful little story that is telling us God has ordered this world. God has a plan and a purpose for this world. God has created this world beautifully and has a reason for it. And if Genesis chapter 6 is showing us anything, it's that there is a disruption in God's created world and that which was separated from that which is below it seems to be merging and combining and, there's this, and something's just unsettling and not right. And that is the primary kind of kind of picture here at the beginning of chapter 6 is that the, there, the, there's no, no longer a, a clear 
understanding or distinction of, of what exactly is God's creation? What are they supposed to be about? And it continues on and says, hey, they're wicked. And what is the wickedness that it says they are a part of? Well, violence. There's incredible, incredible violence. And this flood story is, is a story that, that is dealing with this. This flood story, at first glance, seems to be about a God who just gets mad. Maybe a jealous God or a mean one or one who's prone to temper tantrums. But that's, I think we're going to find that's not the case. That, that does show us that what some fear most about the Lord is that, uh-oh, He could decide to destroy me if I don't toe the line, if I don't do exactly what I'm supposed to do. But the beginning of chapter 6 is telling us that God recognizes that something's out of order. Whatever these people are, these Nephilim, these sons of God, they are uh, acting in this world in a way that is not good. Modern day, it would be like if superheroes were bad guys. I'm sure there's non-Marvel movies that, that tell that story, that imagination. Imagine that this world is not the way God has created when he took that formless void and he drew boundaries. He said, this is how it's going to lay out. This is what the world is going to look like. And he created a place for humanity that he called Eden, this glorious preserve where everything was taken care of them. But yet, that too would be denied and Humanity would go on their own way. And so we find at the beginning of Noah's story that humanity's gone on their own way again. The world is filled with violence. People are hurting each other. They're destroying each other. And already in the story of Genesis, we've heard about how terrible violence is in God's created world. Cain and Abel, the children of of Adam and Eve, destroyed. Well, Cain destroyed Abel, killed him. And his great-great-grandson Lamech will do will do that again. Violence is not a part of God's plan for His created world. And we have in this story one that shows that you know, violence just seems to get, beget more violence. Violence always leads to more, and we see this in our world all the time. Throughout history, we find that often one war and the ending of that will create conflicts that's going to inevitably lead to another war. Usually every conflict we find, we can trace back to, well, things didn't quite end the way they should have in the war before. It always seems to add to more violence. We see this in other ways too. Street violence is always answered with more violence. On the playground, one child pushes another, and soon he's being pushed back. The earth is filled with violence, Genesis says. And in this story, the violent have obscured God's vision for his creation, and they're kind of entering back into the chaotic mess that he had created them from. So out of their violence, there's going to be more. And it seems like God is going to be the one who destroys them this time. And I think we, we, we've heard this story. We have a little bit of idea of the story of the construction. He gets the animals he starts to gather them together. We've heard the story since Sunday school. It's popular. There's been songs about that. There's a group called the Irish Rovers who uh, played on the oldie station that my parents had me listening to when I was growing up and sang stories about about the green alligators and the long neck geese, the humpty back camels and the chimpanzees. Yeah, the rats, cats, and elephants, sure as you're born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, all those, all those animals, all those animals, right? And um, 
Uh, and so, so we know that story of how, how, he, how he gathers them together. And, the, and then Genesis chapter 7 tells us, hey, in this flood, it covers everything. And sure enough, everything's, everything's wiped out. God's got a clean slate. It's like he took his etch-a-sketch and said, no, I messed up. We're, 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 we're doing this again. And, uh, and so here they are on the boat, and they're just waiting. And they're waiting 150 days. It's coming to the end of the year. And, uh, uh, and uh, the, the sun starts to peek out. I'm like, okay, we've got to look for a place to land. They're waiting for the waters to recede. Let's send that bird out and see if it finds a place to land and who knows we have a safe place to look for. And, uh, and it tells us in, in chapter 8 that it's the first day of the new year when they finally land and lay down. And I, I think about that. I'm like, wait, the first day of the, of the new year? That, that can't be a coincidence, right? This is them saying, this is them saying it's a new beginning. It's a new calendar. It's a new start. And I think all of us at some point in time are sometimes like, man, sometimes I, I, that's all I wish I could have. I wish I could have a new beginning, a new start. And each of us do if we count the moments where God has entered into our life and we've said, God, I surrender to you. God, I, I give my life to you and whatever you want, whoever you want me to be, I'm going to do that. And Lord, uh, my gifts, my talents, and, and what you've done, I am sold out to you 100%. That, that's a new day. That's a new start. And, and so uh, Genesis chapter 7 tells us, or Genesis chapter 8 tells us that uh, uh, when they land, it is a new start for us. It's not just New Year's, but I, I like to imagine what if it was? What if the songbirds are still singing all long syne? You know, the goats on the ark are eating up all the confetti and the children are saying, oh, wow, we were up late and Noah's going, I'm getting too old to stay up till midnight. Uh, but, you know, like here they are. It's a new day. It's a new start. They have reason to celebrate. It's a new beginning, new hope, a dry land, a new world. And Noah, I can imagine Noah pulling aside the covering of the curtain and, and just, just verifying, looking, okay, yeah, it looks good. And they land and they find a place. And I wonder what kind of thoughts go through their mind as they see the dry ground. Uh, this week, my thoughts when I saw dry ground were amazing. I was with Dan for uh, nine hours out to sea, and I did not realize that eight and a half hours surrounded by lobster uh, bait was uh, my limit. <laughs> and so uh, 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 it, was, it was a great time with him, but I was excited to see that dry land. And so I imagine after 150 plus days, and Noah's just like, oh, yes. But as he sees the land, I wonder if he's a little scared too. Last time I was here, it got wiped away by a flood. Last time I was here, God seemed to have gotten angry and destroyed it. How much longer will this last? Are the clouds on the horizon safe, or are they going to bring another storm? Uh, but, uh, but, inevitably, he's going to get out there. I suspect, uh, you know, probably his wife said, hey, you need to go see if it's safe. And uh, he goes out, and he's probably like, ladies first. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> but, but inevitably, inevitably, they, they make, he makes his way and they get out there. And what Genesis chapter 8 says is that Noah does something kind of peculiar. Uh, he, it says he takes some of the animals and he builds an altar. Someone should have said, Noah, what are you doing? You can't sacrifice them. They're on the endangered species list. <laughs> what are you doing, Noah? Now, now we can probably tell the Irish rovers what happened to the unicorns. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that, that's that last line. As sure as you're born, don't you forget the unicorns. They weren't forgotten. <laughs> 
They were on the altar. No, um, so, so, so Noah has uh, uh, many, many months to, to, you know, but I think he had many months to kind of think this over. What am I going to do when I get back to land? What am I going to do when, when I get there? One of the things he knows firsthand is that life depends not on his ability to hold, not on his ability to hoard. Life doesn't depend on what he is able to do on his own, what he is able to get from others. Life is about finding yourself in the will of God and being obedient to what he is going to do in our life. And he finds all of creation indeed subsists on this, in keeping favor with the Lord and living obediently to him. The Lord's going to end up saying to Noah, uh, in the chapter I didn't read in chapter 9, he's going, to, he's going to end up saying to him, hey, now Noah, you're going to be fruitful, and you're going to multiply, and you're going to fill this earth. He's, he's also going to tell him that the animals are going to be under his care, the animals that he had just saved. In other words, the Lord says to Noah the same words he said to Adam at the beginning of creation, go forth and multiply, and you're going to be a steward over my creation. And God had said these words to Adam right after creating them in his likeness. Right after saying, hey, they have been made in the image of God. And, and that all of this is good. And we're reminded that Noah acted in accordance with God's will and God's plan. He acted in the image of God. He reflected well the love and concern that God has for creation, the desire to preserve it. And faithfully acting on God's words, even when there was no indication initially that it would rain, and all he knew was the warning, he reflected the love and concern for God. That might be a strange phrase to say after reading a flood narrative. Wait, this story? Love and concern? A lot of times we think violence leads to more violence. Perhaps this is God's response. But as we know, the violence of creation upon another, as it said in Genesis chapter 6, was unanswered. And it was unacceptable. And sure enough, their actions were removed from God's order and from God's creation. That's not supposed to be a part of God's creation. And by the violent flood, it's as if they were returned to the waters over which the Spirit had hovered over to create the world. They get to go back to the chaos that they were creating in his ordered world. But chapter 8 isn't going to let us say that this is just the actions of an angry God. After Noah offers his sacrifice, God says, never again. Those are two very powerful and promising words. Never again. Twice he had cursed the land before. Once because Adam had eaten the forbidden fruit, and he said, okay, now you're going to work this land. It's not going to be a paradise for you anymore. The second was because Cain had killed Abel, and there was a curse on him and his family. And this time, God says, never again. And he says, even though people are wicked from their youth, and we already know he's, he's kind of saying, oh, well, what's the, out of their maximum number, 120 if they're pushing it? If they're wicked from their youth, it means they may be wicked a hundred years long. Even if someone's wicked for a hundred years, never again. Or for us today, if there are people who are more wicked in their lifetime, it seems like a whole generation of people could be. God says, never again. If there are cert certainly those in our world and our history who fit that category, 
It's as if God's saying, I'm not going to destroy the world anymore on their account. In other words, the squeaky wheel isn't getting the oil anymore. The wicked don't get to determine what happens in my world. That would be God's words. Uh, the wicked don't get to determine what happens in this world. They're, they're not pushing God's hand. They're not driving the bus anymore. And as much as sometimes we might pray to, to God, how could you let something like this happen? How could, how could things happen the way that they do, whether it's a Russian invasion or mass exploitation or poverty or, or any number of things that happen in our life when we see all oh, this, the, the death and the destruction, whatever. we say, how, how does something like this continue? I think that we find in this story a God who wants nothing more than to do to those responsible for violence the kinds of things, you know, we want them to do, the kinds of things we might want to do to them. But we find in this chapter that God ultimately will not be identified as one who just succumbs to those kind of very base desires. But one who acts out of grief and is grieved now for his creation. Because after this sacrifice, God says in his heart, never again. As much as violence and wickedness might cause grief, as much as it might be against his desire and his order for creation. It might grieve him and ruin what he had anticipated. Never again will he act destructively to stop that and disrupt the beautiful goodness that he's proclaimed when he first created and ordered this world. And so in verse 22, there is that awesome promise to this order, to the regularity of a God who's going to grieve with us, yet promise to sustain his creation while holding out for repentance for even those who are wicked, that he desires even that they might turn from their wicked ways and be saved. And so in Genesis 8.22 he says, As long as the earth endures, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The order of the world will continue, and with it all the events of it. And that will be a sign that... uh, I will live with and grieve with and never again destroy. We know the ending of the story. It's a story of a rainbow. It's a sign of His covenant. A sign that God's not going to destroy living things again. It is a sign of hope. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago I saw the news when uh, all that was in the news was the story of uh, Queen Elizabeth's death. And I saw the story that, oh, there is a double rainbow the day after her death. And there were pictures of it and announcements about it. And a lot of people saw that, of course, as a sign of, you know, I don't know, uh, how great her life was or a sign of like, you know, hey, this is, this is good news for, for her reign or whatever the case was. But, of course, I saw in that, I remember this story. It is a sign, indeed, that God says death and destruction aren't the last word that my desire indeed is to be with all of creation, that even death, doesn't matter whether it's a monarch or someone close to us, doesn't matter who it is, that doesn't get the last word. God's word is that I have a place and a future and a plan for all of creation, that a part of my ordered plan is to be reunited with them, to give hope again to us, even in the midst of mourning. But with this rainbow that he gives to Noah as a sign of this covenant, that he will never again destroy the world, he says, uh, he says a peculiar thing. He says, this rainbow is a reminder to me. I'm going to look on this and remember this promise. And we see that uh, God will not be a forgetful God. This is, this, is, this is a God who is going to 
grieve with our loss and recognize that indeed we have tendencies to push and fight back. And yet he says, I'm going to remember that uh, this wickedness will never disorder his creation again. And uh, we heard a little bit about reflections on the days of Noah uh, in Matthew 24, when, uh, which was read for us. And Jesus says to the people, he says, hey, you know what? Life is going to get harder. And it's going to be like the days of Noah and seem like destruction is hand and seem like wickedness is everywhere. And he says, and you're going to want to remember because just like in the days of Noah, and then he starts to give examples of people being taken away. And in the days of Noah, there was a lot of fear and, and Noah's the only one who survives. Everyone else is swept away with the waters. And in that, Jesus is saying, hey, even if it's like in the days of Noah, Know that God is removing the wicked, but He is sparing. He's leaving God's people to survive. There's another parable in Matthew where He talks about this too. And they say, why is there so much wickedness in the world? Why doesn't God just, just get rid of it all now? And, and the example is that of like a garden. Why doesn't He just root out all the weeds now and get rid of all the evil? And, and in the analogy, He says, well, because God's fruit hasn't finished growing yet. And if he rips out all the weeds now, those weeds, the roots of those weeds are going to wrap around the roots of God's people. And he's made a promise not to destroy the world again. And to just, just say, hey, I'm starting over. And he's going to be with and nurture and help his people to grow, even in the midst of whatever surrounds them, until the right time, until their roots are strong enough to recognize and to be a part of God's plan and God's eternity for them. And so we Christians have been warned by Christ, not of destruction that might be coming, but of completion. Not, not, not to concern ourselves about whether or not there will be floods and death in our near future, but whether or not we are ready for the resurrection and life. And like Noah, we can reflect the image of God when we celebrate His unseen coming of God's kingdom and proclaim God's good news of Christ to our generation. That we would be faithful to Him in a violent world, even as Noah was. And trust indeed that God is the one who will help to protect and preserve us. And let us remember to be faithful and trust that our God is with us, even through the storms. I found myself thinking that uh, this might be a good time to share with you a word that perhaps you have uh, seen many, many times. The Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene is a beacon of hope and holiness to greater Portland, providing opportunity for worship, friendship, guidance, compassionate service, and sharing the good news of Christ. This is kind of our mission statement. It's on the front of your bulletin. If you're like, wait, that sounds familiar. Where was that? You can see that every week. We are a beacon of hope. We are hoping to, uh, we exist so that people can see indeed that there is a God who has a place and a plan in His ordered creation for us despite the storm. We will be that light and that beacon and that source to say, we want to help you find the good dry land that God has in store for us. Know that Christ loves you, has a plan and a purpose for you, and His forgiveness and His grace is always readily available. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that in these stories, these stories that are oh so familiar, 
and yet uh, are also oh so strange. We find in them the promise that you are a God who sees everything wrong in the world that we see. But you are a God who has promised to be with us along the way. And that that promise says this will not last forever. And there will be a time when your removal of evil does not destroy, but indeed sets up all of your creation to magnify your holy name, to live in relationship with you, to to share eternity with you, and that there will be life given. And so, Heavenly Father, today we are praying for um, your help and your assistance in whatever is coming our way. And Lord, whatever was on our hearts as we came in, Lord, to know that we can give that up to you and say, God, help in this. And that, Lord, you will. And that, Heavenly Father, we might even be able to look back in our life and see moments that functioned like an ark. See moments in which you protected and saved us and kept us safe. And, and Heavenly Father, it's my hope and it's my prayer that you would help us to be faithful to you. To, to see in that and recognize that uh, that is just one of millions of reasons for why we'll say, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll do it. Wherever you guide, I'll go. And it doesn't matter if the whole world turns its back on you. Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful to your calling and your purpose in our life. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that we would find indeed the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, the hope of Jesus Christ, the eternal promise of resting in your plan, in your order, and in your future. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.